to the inaugural episode of Yesterday's Drink Tickets. Uh, my name is Pablo, also known as Beaner. Uh, my uh, personal pronouns are Borg and Continuum, aka non-binary. Um, and uh, with me today as co-host, we normally will have three, is Andrew, uh, also known as Jason Loveland. Um, Yesterday's Drink Tickets is a podcast that is normally going to be three musicians who together have well over 50 years of experience in the music business uh, and wanted to do a podcast about why the music business fucking blows and is a piece of shit and you shouldn't get involved in it (laughs) or if you do do it on your own terms um so like i said with me is andrew andrew do you want to uh Tell the world a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Pablo. Uh, yes, I'm Andrew. I'm also Jason Loveland. Also, the Lone Flanger, the Limit, DJ Klein, and many other illustrious names. Um, we're going to have a bunch of regular uh, features that are on this podcast. Um, but uh, we, we actually were talking about something when we um, met... Uh, when we met to discuss the podcast uh, the other day, and I really yeah. want to hear it, and that is the s- story of uh, White Trash Wrestling Four. Um, so let's uh, yeah let's have you do tell that. Yeah, I, my 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 pleasure. So um, yes, I'm an old raver. Uh, and I've been going to parties uh, since the 90s. And one of the most memorable ones was, I think it was in 1999 or 2000. I can't remember. I'm sure so. Say it was 1999 because then we're partying like it's. Like it. So, uh, yeah, I got an invite to play at uh, White Trash Wrestling 4 which was a meeting of the minds of all of the greatest Midwest, like hardcore, breakcore, every kind of core, all the cores. The, yeah, I know, core. I, I, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the, glitz, the glitz people were there. Right. The, you know, the MS, Max MSP patch people were there. Yes, uh, yes. But so were the for the crack a copy of SoundForge and make an entire album with just SoundForge. Yes. People. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, I wreck my own CDs for custom glitches people. Oh, Hey, you know what? Uh, this is really funny. This ties into what we were just hmm. talking about with the million monikers, because that is the world of the million monikers and probably the first but person that where, where I started first. Per, that's, that's probably that also, yeah, so that would make sense why you're doing that because um, Jason Forrest, aka Donna Summer, mm-hmm. um, aka I mean that guy also put put out uh, stuff under a billion names, um, and he had never intended, if I remember correctly, because I I know him from years and years ago too, um, he had intended to like put out one 
thing as Donna Summer as like a hilarious fuck you joke. Like, hey, yeah. look, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 um, I'm going to put out something as Donna Summer. Um, but people were so into it that like the next person who had asked him to do a record or whatever was like, um, you're going to use the Donna Summer name. Right. And he was like, no. And he was, they were like, yeah, you are <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, anyway. That's, yeah. So, so I mean, white trash wrestling four white trash wrestling four is a, uh, is a core core party. Yeah, core core. All of the cores, the hardest core. Right there, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting, like looking back on it, because so much of what we did then, without even knowing it, was uh, in response to. I mean, I think a lot of people knew it. Like, I mean, obviously, this was this whole party was like Dan Dormouse's and Fishhead's child, brainchild. Okay, so like they kind of knew what they were doing, but like the whole thing was like a critique of raves. Ha. And it, it was kind of like we like coming together and we like listening to Walker's music and we like taking substances and drinking lots of beer. Um, is there a way to do that without so many damn ravers? Well, uh, and well, so I mean, you're gonna have to sort of. Uh, uh, we are in 2021 now. So you're gonna have to sure. um, you're gonna have to sort of describe what so many damn ravers means um, in the context of the '90s uh, and parties in the '90s. I mean, you did say this was like 1999, so I would kind of say that like by that point, um, a lot of the uh, both combination of like state. Um, attacks on raving and also the capitalism connected yes. stuff uh, with it being uh, very majorly co-opted by the mainstream, which resulted in electronica and all this other stuff. 1999, the whole rave scene was actually kind of over already in a way oh, yeah. and was like um, in the process of, if not already driven underground. But when you say, without so many ravers, um, I don't think anybody who's young or who wasn't there will um, remember what the rave scene was like and like uh, how similar in some ways it was to like kind of crap EDM festival stuff now, oh, yeah. like with the Jenko jeans and the candy bracelets and the whatever. Um, yeah, is that, I mean, is that what you meant? Yeah, like without so many damn ravers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what that meant at the time, and it was, it was, it was. Yeah, kids with the fat pants on, kids, you know, with the candy, sucked on a pacifier, you know, just kind of just slathered, just slathered in Vicks vape, vapor rub, slathered in Vicks vape, vapor rub, just waiting to hear DJ Funk, um, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff, and. I mean, honestly, looking back on it now, uh, pole pants, you know, pants the, that you could the, fit four people under the, the four piece of people pants wasn't that bad, but, uh, or, or yes. four people pants was, was bad. And but, the only uh, good thing about it was you could steal forties with four people. pants. You could steal forties with it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you wore two, 
Yeah. Um, oh man, the people who wore the like regular Jenkos and then wore the extra big Jenkos over them. Oh yeah. Oh god, those people were the uh the worst. So much fabric I had to kill to make these pants. <laughs> you could upholster like an entire couch. You could upholster an entire sofa with this denim. Yeah. Um and you know that's what they call a, a Canadian love seat. Canadian love seat. <laughs> yeah, is when you upholster an entire couch with with with, a, with one pair of Jenkos. Do you have any idea how many Jenkos it took to upholster the couch? Um, and you know there was a critique that it was like they weren't really in it. You know, like they didn't they didn't really give a shit about the music. They didn't really give a shit about community. It sounds very familiar to what we're talking about with right. a lot of the stuff that's happened transpired recently um, well or any and, music scene kind of ever but especially I was, say, I was gonna say i don't think this is this isn't necessarily unique to techno but uh i will say perhaps the uh the time between generations in techno is maybe lower yeah, I mean that 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 might have something to do with it, and then also I think um, I mean there's certainly uh, we're you know uh, in this podcast we are going to get into a lot of the major critique of 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 all of this, and so we will eventually get to like um, how platform capitalism is killing uh, music yeah. and how the uh, electronic dance music scene particularly um was uh early adopter and ran with open arms uh towards uh this social media thing um because of its like moronic obsession with a very vague and uncritical form of uh, futurism, of techno-futurism. And so like any kind of technology thing um, is like immediately embraced without any sort of uh, critical eye. But um, let's not get to that now. Let's talk, I want you to continue with what you were saying yeah. about uh, the, the feeling of of there being too many posers. Too many posers. Always too many posers. And uh, I, I would say, though, real quick, in, to that to that footnote, that uh, I, I was, by this time, I had, I had an email address because I was in school at the time. You are listening to a podcast under the La Mission Radio umbrella. You can find us and support us at patreon.com slash join Pablo. That's patreon.com, J-O-I-N-P-A-B-L-O. Early access for patrons, plus special bonus episodes, and a whole lot more as we did not start as a podcast Patreon. Come and see us. Oh, yeah. You had an email address because you were in school. I had an email address because I was a fucking super nerd. Well, but that was really the only two ways you could get, I mean, or military or whatever. But I mean, most people got email addresses at that time by being super nerdy or being in school. I mean, AOL, and you could have an AOL address or a um, Compaq one or, or whatever. True. Some people had the internet through these gateways. Um, 
So like I had a, I think I had an AOL address for a while too, uh, which was stippididget at AOL.com. Yes. What year did Hotmail come out? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. That wasn't that, wasn't that also 97, 98? That must've been. It was around then. Cause I, I had, uh, I had Chia head with, uh, with, with H E D not H E A D at hotmail.com. Uh, at the very, very beginning when you had to be invited to have a Hotmail address mm-hmm. because Microsoft did like a whole, uh, a whole, I mean, just like Google did when they first started Gmail, like basically they, um, I think they gave people who worked for Microsoft uh, like invites and then you could like invite people to do it. And I don't remember how I got, but like I was, uh, you know, I was on Hotmail right at the beginning. Um, but uh, I left Hotmail pretty early on because I, it was so like the amount of spam that you oh, would yeah. get with Hotmail, like from the get go is like you opened your account and, and there was a, and there was 15 boner pill uh, emails in it, like right when you first checked your inbox. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, welcome to Microsoft. Do you have a boner? Would you like one? Would you like one? Yeah. I mean, it's like Clippy. It's I see Clippy. you're having trouble with that boner. Do you need my help? Yes, Clippy. Thank you. One see Alice, please. But uh, I was finding out about all these parties through our IRC relay that we had. Right. And, uh, you know, an interesting, an interesting uh, example of early technology adopting. Right, which, uh, which is, I mean, IRC is still going on, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you uh, actually, aren't you the one who told me that you're still on some IRC stuff? I'm not on IRC right okay, now, so but some, a lot somebody, of the somebody told people me. that I know are from IRC. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, Internet Relay Chat, um, a.k.a. early WhatsApp. I don't know. What would you call that? Um, well, it's like early Discord, it's like early Skype. Yeah, early Skype, Discord, whatever. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the instant messenger version of, of, uh, of, um, of a PBS forum board, basically. That's basically what it was. Yeah. It's just really fast email. Uh, well, not so, any faster than email normally is, but. Well, uh, I mean, uh, I remember when email was, uh, was 300 baud. True. Which true. meant it wasn't actually instant, but it was instant, but it wasn't instant. Yeah. Gotta wait for that dialogue. Mom, get off the phone. Did you ever do, um, did you ever do the thing where, uh, you and a friend called each, well, you basically, one of you called the other's modem and you did like a real time chat terminal, basically like pre, pre messenger, basically, um, instead of talking over the BBS where you wrote a, a note and then the person ha- is like, well, how many of our people were allowed to be on that one at a time? like right. read and, and respond or whatever. Um, you actually would just like 
have your two computers talking to each other instead of calling the person on the phone. Oh yeah, yeah, you would, yeah. You would type to each other, and actually, it really was like you could see each like uh, character come up. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like it was like a it was like it was like an '80s movie from movie from the future. Yeah, totally. Uh, at at two thousand four hundred bits per second. Yeah. Blazing speeds. Um, but yeah, so we, we wanted to have this party. And uh, it was all going to be like, it was like, you know, like Venetian snares and like Abel King and Stunt Rock and all this other stuff. And I was, at the time, I was making music with st- Stunt Rock. Um, and the moniker I was using at the time was the Urbana Youth Outreach. Uh, <laughs> and uh, not to be confused with the real Urbana Youth Outreach, which I think was like a Christian organization. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and so like, so I, I was on Dormas's radar and he was like, yo, you, you want to play? And so I was like, yeah. And, and this, is, this is when do you want to play a gig means do you want to drive to rural Wisconsin in your shitty car that you bought from your grandmother? Not really a piece of shit, actually. Sorry, grandma. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> is your grandma listening to a, a lot of uh, anti-music business? I don't podcasts? think so. I don't, I don't think so. Um, but uh, So tell it like it is. Grandma ripped you off. No, she didn't rip me off at all. She just sold me an old just person car. With you. I'm just she just sold me an old person car. Um, so I had an old like had a car. walker on the front, just about. They had the little tennis balls on the back. But uh, so I, you know, and this was when playing a live set involved like me taking down my PC tower, putting it into the trunk, getting enough beer for an entire weekend, and you know all this kind of stuff, some snacks, uh, and and schlepping up from Chicago to. Uh, beautiful scenic nowhere wisconsin because dormouse's friend had a bar that we could use to create to make mayhem classic Um, classic real rave scenario this is a real rave scenario or i should say real midwest rave scenario totally because where i'm from uh Oddly enough, the largest warehouse rave scene in the United States was not in Chicago or Detroit. It was in Oakland, California, because um, there was so many goddamn warehouses because like fucking, I don't know, whatever, like 30 percent of Oakland was industrial warehouses at that time. And and so many of them were empty because it was a. it was to some degree, a, a, I mean, it was pre-internet boom. So it was like mm-hmm. actually a, an economic, uh, uh, like uh, not, not quite da- downturn recession. Well, it had been a recession late 80s, early 90s it was too. So uh, you know, this is before the Clinton year. So it, like it, it hadn't gone to the, to the bounce back yet. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, Classic raves from where I'm from was uh, dirty, dangerous, empty warehouse. 
Instead well, this is very much a dirty, dangerous barn. Right. Dirty, dangerous is always part of the property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't have those, you don't really have a room. I'm sorry. Yeah. Dormouse's friend has the barn. Yeah, so Dormouse's friend has the middle barn. Middle of nowhere. Wisconsin. Middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Um, you have to actually take your computer and bring the, how big was the monitor that you had to bring your let me guess crt monitor oh it was crt for sure it was it was like an 18 inch crt it was an old view sign. wow that's big oh i'm a power user or was it the, was it the 18 inch one that the actual screen was like 10 inches no it was 18 inch <laughs> diagonal it was 18 <laughs> diagonal yeah yeah right um so it was still a massive piece of hardware I mean that, that that monitor probably weighed more than most people's like mixers in their studios now do. Totally, totally. And so I'm bringing that stuff. Uh, rumor has it the rumor on the IRC chat is that someone is bringing a boat, and we're going to destroy the boat. That's what, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we heard. That is very a uh, break for scene. Uh. The break core scene is, uh, is notorious for, um, for like, uh, being like weirdly super celebratory with all of their parties, like a lot of balloons and, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, like, uh, confetti and, uh, yeah. sort of like, um, child like fun stuff also. Conversely, um, being really, really into uh, the like one of the one of the cool things at a party would be like, yeah, we're good. We we have like fifty uh, broken monitors, and we're gonna explode all the broken monitors yeah, at this exactly. at this party or whatever. Um, like the the the. The genre of music and their parties are like completely a hundred percent grounded in uh, a combination of ADD and Arrested Development at age like thirteen. Oh no! And I mean, like at least when I was back there doing it, like there were no bones being picked about. Like, is that really the motivation? Like, we were all just like we're maladjusted. But like we're, oh, yeah. not, we're not, but we're not like total assholes either. So like the, the right. principles of peace, love, unity, and respect still hold. Right. I mean, this is like what I'm saying about the weirdly. Po- I mean, posi core. Yeah. Definitely applies because uh, it's core core. But like the balloons. Of, I mean, bouncy castles. I think I only ever mm-hmm. saw bouncy castles at break at break core parties. That would check out. Yeah. But, uh, but then, yeah, also exploding things. So, uh, rumor is it somebody's bringing a boat. Someone's bringing a boat, because to- we didn't know what juggalos were at the time, but we were also just kind of juggalos. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> little did we know. Uh, and then, let's see, like, a bunch of friends were coming from all over the Midwest. Um, and... Uh, it was gonna. It was gonna be a real hoot, and you know, Billy Sunrock had uh, a bunch of acid, and he got uh, a bunch of cases of this beer called Olympia beer. Uh, when I rolled Olympia? up, 
Olympia. Oh, Olympia. Yeah. I mean, I know Olympia beer. I've, I've been to the Olympia brewery in Olympia, Washington. Oh, well, you know, then, because I get out of the car and Billy's like, yo, taste this beer. It tastes like piss. And I was like, wow, like, what? good to see you. And he gives me the I Olympia mean, and, and memory serves as it did have a piss like piss like flavor. I mean, uh, I grew up in the punk scene predominantly where we pretty much only drank whatever the cheapest beer was at that particular time. Uh, Oli is actually definitely one of the ones that was on rotation. And um, there's some people who will argue with you that Oli is like the like four star fucking uh, like best of, of all those. And um I mean, it's a it's an American style lager, so of course it tastes as bad as like your hams or your Black Label or your um, old Milwaukee or your Milwaukee's best. Let's see, that's what they're comparing. Your Pabst Blue Ribbon before uh, you know um, before Pabst Blue Ribbon was was bought by outside company. Uh, I mean. I remember that a lot of people argued that Oli was better than all these other cheap shit beers because of the water, because the water that oh. they had got for, for Oli was this local Washington pure, like mountain snow water right, or right. whatever. Um, all I remember about Olympia beer is that um, they get, they, you, you could get, um, I think two or three whole beers uh, at the end of the tour um, when you went on the tour. Um, and, and if you, uh, if you didn't eat anything all day and, uh, and went to like, I think I had friends who used to, uh, who used to like uh, sell their plasma and then go to the Olympia thing or go to the, um, or go to their uh, like food stamp uh, um, meeting and then go to the Olympia thing. And you would just like, ch- like shotgun the three yeah. beers at the end of it. And like, be like, I got a, I got a buzz on for free. Um, I only went on that tour one time and I tried to drink the beers at the end as fast as I could, but um, I, I didn't, I didn't get drunk. You didn't get a buzz for free. No, I know. I mean, I think I went on the tour uh, on on a, on tour with a band, um, and so like uh, I had probably at that point was um, was used. Well, I was used to like drinking, you know, sh- crap loads uh, of cheap shitty beer as True. as much as as we could get every night on the on the tour. So. <laughs> Uh, so shotgunning three beers, uh, probably made me feel a little bit ill, uh, right. but it probably didn't get me drunk. Might've might felt like a little woozy, uh, but you know, nothing that a little bit of, a of dry ramen sh- sh- shaken up with the, uh, with the flavor packet wouldn't fix. So, so, you know, we get there, we get to Wisconsin and, uh, kind of rummaging around through the wreckage because it's kind of like, it, it was like a barn, but like part of it collapsed. And uh, so there was kind of like some ruins and then there was like the barn area. Then the boat was wheeled around the side by the giant fire pit. And so 
you know, okay. what size boat are we talking? Like a twelve footer. Like a like a, a seat like a like a fishing boat. But it had a motor and everything. Okay. I got you. If I if I knew boat uh, names, I, I would immediately say, "Oh, that's a blah blah blah," because they all all the different boats have different. Have yeah, it's different a names. it's a sun jammer uh, <laughs> or whatever. Wait, sun jammer? Are, are you are you fucking are you uh, are you talking like spell jammer, like D and D spacefaring boat shit? I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking about just making up boat names. Okay, I thought I, I thought, yeah, all right. So, you know, the sun goes down, we start making merry. You know, the fireworks are in effect, people are launching fireworks out of their butts, all this kind of stuff, you know, typical shenanigans. And then eventually it comes time to, uh, I got to get ready to play my set. Uh, and so I'm like, all right, I found Dan. I'm like, all right, where do you want me to set up? He's like, oh, set up in the loft. And I was like, yeah, sick, good idea. How do I get there? He's like, it's up this ladder. It's just take the ladder to the loft. And he thought I had a laptop. Um, and I was like, no, dude, I got a fucking <laughs> PC tower. Uh, and so we were just like, I don't know how you're going to get it up that ladder. Um, I mean, this was like, you know, this is a rickety ladder up to a condemned Barnes hayloft. Yeah, uh, I can, I can, I can imagine. I, uh... you know, it's not looking like this is going to happen, but there wasn't any room on stage because everyone had their crap everywhere. So basically, what I did, and like this is totally how we did it, is like I got all my cables, and I basically just tied the computer to myself and went up the. One of the, <laughs> the steps, and then I went down and got the monitor and like lashed it around my body and like carried it up the steps. And uh, you know, and this was this was like the early days of of this. So like, I didn't I didn't really know what I was doing like at all. So I start I start playing. I just start, yeah. You know, but also, as my friend Billy pointed out, it's a breakcore party where everyone's on acid and drunk so there's no way i could possibly fuck up right <laughs> so as long as the noises kept coming everyone was happy right. so yeah. i just start like shooting noises out and you know people people are like yeah and then all you gotta my, do is turn the sequencer up to 11 all you gotta do is turn the sequencer up to 11 and then my fucking computer crashes <laughs> and immediately it 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 goes on and it's it's like the like it's like the windows ta-da you know like comes through the pa system of course and uh well because i didn't have this was before this was before anyone other than professionals had professional sound cards well, you you know you know who you know who actually put that in a song. I think it might actually be their first ever twelve inch, and it's not the Windows uh, start sound though. I believe it was the at the time Mac start sound, but mm -hmm. it was like the song crashes and then it's a restart. Is a uh, Modus Electric? Yeah. The first 12 inch, I think it was. They they did that on it. It's actually a pretty good, pretty good record. 
Yeah. And so, like, my thinking goes like, you know, ta-da, or whatever, and it, and it makes the, the window startup sound. And then I just hear, out of the corner of my eye, I just hear someone down down there just shouting, like, dude, you got it down. Dude, you got it down. <laughs> which, is, which is a reference to a commercial running at the time uh, right. of everyone's crappy computers and then, and then someone with a nice computer that has the Dell or whatever. Well, it was, I mean, wasn't it the, uh, it was like the, it was always the, the kid who is, you know, freshman at college or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, dude, you got a Dell. Dude, you got a Dell. So I got a Dell and, uh, managed to finish the re- last rest of my like 20 minute live set. <laughs> that is, that is also very 1990s. The. Oh yeah, twenty thirty minutes. How the fuck are you gonna play an hour's worth of music? No one's got that much music. I mean, I always thought it was actually just because, like, uh, the DIY people always were like, "Oh, well, you know, we're starting at like eight or nine o'clock or whatever," um, and depending on how rave rave this was or like if you were like renting a space from somebody who would inevitably tell you you have to be out by a certain time they'd be like all right we've, we have like four or five hours how many people can we put on this lineup <laughs> and yeah, there'd be I mean, like there 16 people there was on of that like i mean the lineup the lineup itself could have and i know did fill up an entire back of a t-shirt <laughs> it's like a festival, but it was only one night. Right. Yeah, I mean, the branding and the merch uh, Addict Records did for all of this stuff was was always pretty, pretty spot on. Um, I mean, when you told me the other day, uh, White Trash Wrestling 4, and started describing it, but I, I didn't hear any of this story uh, that you've now yeah. told me up to this point. All I heard was like, yeah, I had to like pack up my whole PC tower and they made me play in the loft and stuff. Like the way that you had been describing it, my vision of this was actually straight up that somebody asked you to play uh, like a a backyard amateur wrestling thing, Uh, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, that may very uh, well have been the first white trash wrestling. What's that? That may very well have been White Trash Wrestling number one. One, right. But, and then it, it developed as the guy's interests developed. It's and snowball. so by number four, uh, it, w- it wasn't about wrestling anymore. It, was it wasn't actually about wrestling. wrestling anymore. So I finished my set, and my friends are there to congratulate me and you know, tell me that it was awesome. And then I hear, it's time to, to we're going to blow the boat up. So I'm like, all right, we gotta, I gotta see this. Like, how, how are we gonna do that? And so we get down, we climb down, we get, get the shit down, and uh, we go on. And the boat is adjacent to the fire pit. And uh, so the initial thoughts of how to blow the boat up, because it was quickly learned that we didn't have any dynamite or fireworks that were powerful enough to blow the boat up. Right. Just a couple of M80s and and the, couple and the uh, bottle rocket bottle and rockets that people were uh, shooting out their butt, right? Precisely. And the butt rockets were going to cut. 
So someone was like, oh, let's just wheel the boat into the fire. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, solutions. I mean, this is, this is the Midwest best and brightest. You start wheeling the boat over. And then this guys all work for NASA right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we start wheeling the boat over and we kind of tip it into the fire. And uh, things are going well. The boat's starting to catch on fire. And then somebody was like, isn't the smoke coming off of the burning boat like all kinds of toxic shit from who knows where? And yeah. then everyone was simultaneously like, yep, yep, it is. And we all <laughs> pulled this burning boat. We had to pull this burning boat out of the fire. And then it turns out that the gas tank wasn't empty. Of course not. This is, so that's what, what I was actually waiting for. No, was, and so, no. So there's gas in this boat, and we're like, we got to get this boat out of the fucking fire. Before it actually explodes. Because like, we, we are real. all in trouble. Right. Um, so we managed to, we managed to rest, wrestle the boat free of the flame. And... Uh, kind of put it on i mean it was like it was a is it fi fiberglass yeah it was a fiberglass boat yeah it's uh, i mean this is what i was thinking and yeah you don't want to burn fiberglass it's so, uh no it's all, all kinds of kill you yeah it's super bad um so we uh we pulled the boat out and uh we went on our way and uh, yeah, I can't remember if that was the night. I think that was the night where it was like, because uh, that was the thing. That was the thing. The, the drugs of choice at this party, because everyone had already blown their synapses out with ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> and so, so it was just like, what do we do? It's like, oh, we, we're going to drink beer and we're going to take acid. That's how that's that's how we parted, and so that's what we did. And uh, a good time was had by all. I made some good friends at that party. Still, I'm friends with them. Um, that was my story for uh, my part. My part played in white trash wrestling for. <laughs> I was uh, I was at the end there. I was waiting for uh, either the gas tank blowing up or that. Um, Nobody had taken the motor, the attached motor on the back off, and that like well, that didn't um, happen either. But yeah, and that that was gonna heat up uh, and explode because of you know there being some form of liquid and pressurized thing yeah. within the actual engine, and that you know shrapnel was gonna be had by all. <laughs> Basically, I mean that's 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 what we very astutely uh, figured out. Right. Look, luckily, uh, unlike some raves, uh, uh, the, everybody, everybody was able to uh, to stop the bad thing from happening before yeah. uh, you caused it to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. No one slept. Everyone just stayed up all night, tending to the fire, shooting fireworks out of their butts. <laughs> and 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 very little music business was had. Very little music business was had. And you can't again, network in a barn. Again, but it's it's funny, like how much even within like uh, 
such a funny little scene like it's just how those become like these kind of moments that you kind of anchor a lot of your friend constellations on oh yeah totally i i absolutely know what you mean um uh, i think you know the early the early uh parties that one is privy to um of course always a big effect on uh on what kind of friend group you end up having but there are absolutely certain special ones where <clears throat> where something like um like i don't know the wrestling or right. the white trashness of it right. all or uh or or the burning boat uh bring out the right group of people and end up really uh really giving uh that jump start to uh to your your social scene and or yeah, 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 mu sure. musical development uh if not a, your musical development of actual music your musical development in what kind of people you hang out with uh totally. which totally ends up being your musical development music wise as well uh, eventually yeah cool. I mean, one, one other person to talk to about this party would be dj bus replacement service actually Oh yeah. yeah, she was this there. Was 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 there? Yeah, that, that's uh, that is pretty awesome because uh, because I would not have I would not have uh, placed Doris a particular scene, but in a way, it absolutely makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. and uh, and and is really cool. Um. Yeah, I've gone so far, and I've said this to her directly, that I think a lot of what she's doing is directly based on how DJs would play at those parties. Oh, 100%. Uh, because when you first said it was like every single kind of blah, 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 my immediate thought the last time that I played something like this, which was uh, after, or no, before, either directly before or directly after Miguel Kid 606. Um, yeah. uh, I, I was sandwiched between him and my friend Alex Pasternak, who, um, who's in the band Lemonade as well. And basically both of them were playing like every kind of core stuff, uh, DJ-wise. But um, people who were in that scene, when they DJed, like weren't DJing necessarily with... Uh, records or weren't necessarily DJing with CDJs when CDJs existed. Very often those were the people who were DJing with their computers. Yeah. Um, with early, early versions of Ableton or there was plenty of other software that people would use. And the reason they would do it is because you could find mixed any kind of music you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And so like, I remember Miguel 606 at the last time I played a party that was uh, similar musically to what we're, what we're talking about. Um, he had uh, um, like professional uh, cheerleading cheer stuff playing. Uh -huh. um, he had like anything that you could find that was 160 BPM or above. Right. Um, and had sort of like, the element of like nihilistic ADD part party 
right like ultra positivity nihilistic add party like that's going in the soup Mm -hmm. like it doesn't fucking matter where it comes from or why i mean that's i i kind of feel like uh people alex pasternak got super into all of this um uh kind of like um weird offshoots of sort of electronic digital cumbia and shit like that because they could find stuff that was hyperactive in those scenes that fit with music that they were playing that was break break core or whatever uh even though you wouldn't think that digital cumbia necessarily would be like really fast there was (laughs) stuff that would fit into that (laughs) but yeah that it totally makes sense because that is like the the doris uh way of thinking like music music all music can be played together if only you want it to that's right um that's right we live in a world where music coming together is possible you know what's funny um so uh i made a song the last song basically that i released before officially quitting music um the song made entirely out of uh, like processed samples from clown cars, basically, yeah. and uh, and and the and um, and one sample of a crusty clown laugh, and um, and like I played that for or I, or sent a, a free download code to somebody um, recently of it, and their immediate reaction was uh, was yeah, this is impressive that you made a whole song. Every single, you know, sample is actually from this clown stuff. Uh, it, it reminds me of DJ Bus replacement service. And I was like, oh yeah, it's definitely a, uh, a DJ Bus replacement service style thing. And I think, uh, I think she might've been actually one of the first people that I sent it to when I made it because I immediately thought, oh, she'll get my sense of humor. Uh, she's the only other person that I know of who um, stayed up late uh, secretly to record the Dr. Demento show. Um, yeah. Like uh, at, at the age of, I don't know, nine or 10 years old or whatever. I, I also very much did that. Um, and, and uh, yeah. Um, I, I do have a, a, a major connection with the um, philosophy behind the way that yes. Doris approaches music, even if uh, even if I my my version of humor in music is um, expressed maybe maybe differently now. Um, I have the utmost respect for for that style. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember the first time I saw her was like, I had that feeling it, and, it, and I've had it uh, a couple of times, but like always under extreme musical duress uh, <laughs> where, where I just feel like I'm hearing music for the first time. <laughs> like I'm a little baby and the little baby is just like born into this world of like Latvian brothel disco and chaos and extreme musical duress doesn't sound like a positive review, but I know that you actually mean it. Oh no, uh, it's high completely praise. positively. Yeah. 
um, well, let's uh, let's get move on to um, to one of our um, <clears throat> regular features. Yeah. Um, our record of the month. Uh, I think we we had picked um, something out of my uh, ridiculous record collection that I'm in the process of selling. Um, and, uh, it is material, uh, the album down from 1982. Mm. Um, I think that I, I picked out from this, uh, sort of punk funk post-punk era stuff. I picked out a few, um, and, and said, what do you think of these ones? Uh, there was like you know, liquid liquid and, and some, a couple of different Bill Laswell things. Uh, this being one of them. Um, I'm very, very, very into um, 79 to 82 as being its own genre of music in a way. Hmm. Like there was just so much music that came out in those particular years that yeah, like, yeah. kind of doesn't belong to other, I mean, people will say it belongs to other genres and like that it's connect and it definitely is connected sort of in a sociological or like, if you really are going to try to be uh, musicology and connections and whatever stuff, it, it is connected to a lot of other stuff, but kind of more importantly, it's uh, disconnected from all that stuff by being um, so much its own thing because it would just like take from all these other things and then fucking like just angrily mash it together in a weird way. So like this material album on Discogs is described as being funk soul of genre and style electro funk and disco. But like if you listen to the album, um, it is like mutant funk, like, as it's very connected to the mu- mutant disco scene, uh. but it's more mutant than disco. Uh, it's funk in that Bill Laswell is a bassist, and so like almost every bassist, basically when they write music, pretty much just want to write funk records. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but it's it's in, it's weird. Uh, and, uh, and it's, and it, and it's, and it's punk and it's downtown and it, uh, um, you notice something, uh, when, when we pulled it out, which is that Archie Shep plays tenor saxophone on, uh, the B3 song memories. Um, and I commented that like, oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all because like that whole downtown punk funk scene was actually connected to like the um, free jazz scene because like basically the deal is uh, is like all of them were 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 just like weird downtown uh, art people who music was like was like oh this is this is like a art project or whatever yeah yeah I'm I'm just putting on memories. Uh, do you want? Do you want to put it on? T- yes, I will put it on. Okay. So uh, let's also mention 
the other extremely important thing about uh, this song, Memories, uh, written by Hugh Hopper, who I don't know who the fuck that is. Oh, also a bass player. <laughs> um, oh, and was in, in Soft Machine. Uh, but anyway, Memories... Featuring a young 16-year-old Whitney Houston on lead vocals. Uh, I believe this is the first appearance of Whitney Houston on a record ever. Really? Yeah. Uh, and Archie Shep, do, do, I mean, are you listening to this, this saxophone? I mean, it basically sounds... It basically sounds like um, bad. Uh, um, I mean, it sounds like it, it could be Baker Street. You know, it's like a it's a Jerry Rafferty deep cut. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's your opinion? The rest of this album is, you know, a, a lot more uh, uh, sort of rocking, burning down the, the dance floor. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's some drum machines on it. Um, but this song is basically like almost a, uh, an attempt at, uh, as, at like a radio ballad. This is totally an attempt at a radio ballad. This is, this is like the, the track that like the label made them put on the records. Oh, they did. I, I mean, as far as I know, I mean, because Bill Laswell, the coon, no, I know. Uh, basically wants to do everything. And I like, so uh, my friend Alan uh, is the guy who uh, re-released uh, the DNA album hmm. on his label. Um, so like very connected to that no wave scene it's that's his era in fact uh, and his label aside from re-releasing the DNA album um, is uh, is actually a free jazz label basically hmm. and guess who's one of the main people that he's released Archie Shep hmm. um and uh, I mean, quite quite a few other uh, uh, really well known sort of downtown New York absolute weirdo uh, uh, jazz freaks. Yeah. But anyway, my friend Alan, when I first discovered this uh, material record, because I was into that whole scene um, when I first moved to Berlin in two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, and we were at a, uh, record store that doesn't exist anymore together on Friedrichstrasse, like in Mitte. It was in the basement of, uh, of, of uh, like a stamp shop. <laughs> hmm. And, um, and like, uh, I, I like, oh, cool. A material record. And immediately Alan goes, that's the first appearance of Whitney Houston. And I was like, uh, excuse me. And he was like, oh Yeah. Um, and then he told me, and I don't know if this is true, but he, he told me that basically Bill Laswell 
like discovered Whitney Houston. Oh shit. And was like, we got to get this 16 year old on record. Um, I don't know if that's true. The label uh, is Electra, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's Electra slash Celluloid. So Celluloid was like the the uh, sort of weird, sometimes dark, sometimes like uh, punky, sometimes uh, I think metal, and some you know the the Electra sub label that was kind yeah, of yeah. like on the edge. But it was Electra, and I'm pretty sure. Whitney Houston was on Electra later on. So your oh. theory, your theory that um, that it it is was forced by the label is also, I think, equally a possible truth. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Don't Lose Control has some pretty sick vocoding on it. Oh, uh, I can I can actually hear it since you're not do- doing. Uh, the headphones let me let me put on a lose control that's the last one after memories right oh yeah dope super dope vocoding don't let the music stop because uh because um i didn't end up buying the record then for a, a euro mind you it was it was on sale for euro Oh. I did get it a little bit later. Uh, I used to play I'm the One, which is like uh, drum machine, regular drums, and bongos. It's got a bunch of um, like uh, backwards uh, um, played uh, drums and sounds kind of like a... Um, like a bad 80s funk outtake. The Boston Out, you mean? I, I'm the one. I'm the one. But uh, I think I played I think I played both Take a Chance and I'm the One. So the the A1 and the A2. So like if you were at the like uh peak time, you play uh Take a Chance, which ba- which basically sounds like terrible. Italo disco with vocoding. Um, and if you were like at the, at the sexy uh, late part of the, of the party, you play I'm the one, which by the way, I'm looking at it now. Nile Rogers on guitar. There you go. Chic. Yeah. That explains a lot. I mean, this, it, it's amazing how, how many, how many crazily important people on this album um fred frith plays guitar on it as well uh who's a pretty pretty famous um sort of jazz improv guitar guy as well and was in a lot of different groups who uh, and look, Nile Rogers actually plays on a couple of things here. Nile Rogers, uh, Whitney Houston, Archie Shep, Fred Frith. Who else is on this? Uh, I mean, we should maybe also just talk about Bill Laswell in general. Yeah, I mean, I was actually uh, going to ask you. Um, I actually don't go that deep with his work. I mean, I'm familiar with some of it, but like, what what are some... I mean, he's done a lot. Well, yeah, so like 
he he's just like somebody who bounced around the music industry um for so long and with so many different things uh that like he was on more things than you can possibly imagine yeah um and and this was during a time where like you know he could bounce around the music industry and be a producer and like session bass player and whatever but but also like um be in a bunch of stuff that like completely never made money and they wouldn't throw him out of the out of the 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 music industry yeah yeah um unfortunately not a possibility now but like i'll give you examples of how wildly different the things he's worked on were uh he was in the ginger baker band with ginger baker obviously um he was in jaw wobble solaris uh Hmm. which uh, was one of jaw wobble's weirdo side projects um let's see what else was he in uh tabla beat science which actually was a uh surprisingly successful um band that um was they used like a lot of uh a lot of like weird um sampling and stuff i think Um, and um were were actually uh like they put out weird live and uh drum machine tabla weirdo music and that shit's been like you know um sampled and or ripped off by um and people um like if i'm not mistaken there's uh on post on one of Bjork's uh on, on Bjork's second record. Yeah. Um the uh the tabla thing in um in in one of the songs is uh just sampled from is 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 well they were I think what they did was uh, was sampled and then um replayed. Like I think it was uh oh, yeah it's uh it's whichever was the one that was um was like co-produced by talvin singh and i think that was that was post um right wasn't it a post that had the song that was so. that has the tablas and is uh yeah but so bill aswell shows up in 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 many weird places um ginger baker uh um Ja Wobble uh, um, being sampled by, by Bjork. Um, obviously, Material uh, was his weird uh, punk slash mute disco um, band, which was, uh, you know, um, I think their big sort of hit type thing um, <clears throat> was that they were included on the first. Uh, New York noise compilation that uh, Soul Jazz did, which is like, you know, sort of a defining yeah. thing of punk for uh, people of our generation. Um, looking at his uh, his discogs just right now, 1994, he did an album with Jonah Sharp. I mean, he was totally involved in the, in the electronic music scene 
which I totally didn't even remember. Uh, he also then did a, an album with Pete Namluk uh, the next, the same year. Um, and then one year later, he's doing a, an album with uh, Terry Hamlets. But he did a record with who? Terry Hamlets? Yes. So Jonah Sharp, uh, you know, um, who, you know, was is absolutely king of the uh of the micro the like early uh micro sampling pre-minimal uh kind of kind of stuff um definitely the max msp kind of kind of scene. Yeah, yeah for sure uh then he does one with pete namluck which is, which uh, who's like dude from frankfurt who who put out the like eight billion releases um on his label that was uh his fax number oh yeah and he he died in 2012 and was like um like has had a bunch of re-releases since then was like remixed by ricardo villalobos and stuff like that so jonah sharp uh pete nam look 90 both in 94 on subharmonic um and then 95 he does one with uh, terry templates apparently oh Subharmonic was his label. So this is, you know, showing how um, incredibly on it he was as, as a producer and, and being connected in the music business. Um, so, you know, f- five years before your, uh, your uh, uh, white trash wrestling, trash wrestling. Yeah. Uh, experience, he was already doing weirdo uh albums with uh with three giants of of early rave scene he also did a record with haromi honoso yeah and and, uh and john zorn and rayuchi sakamoto interesting in fact uh the one that I, with Ryuchi Sakamoto is Asian Games, and I I know that song. I think um, I wonder if that's uh, if we can listen to that. Um, hmm. There's no there's no uh, there's no YouTube for it here. Um, gonna see if I yes I found it on the YouTube. I will put it in our chat chat and because I. I want to. Uh, I want to um, see if this is thing. It is. Uh, no, it's not. This is definitely more on the uh, like experimental weirdo uh, tip, which is um, definitely my tip as well. But uh, but I thought it was. I thought it was actually this like uh, sort of. Uh, almost like response song to computer games oh you know the the the, uh but it's not i put it in our chat if you want to take a listen to it oh yeah Uh, it's basically uh improv uh piano with weird improv electronics and improv uh bass i mean it's excellent uh, it's the kind of music that um, 
that The Wire was designed to talk about, or fa founded to talk about. Um, speaking of uh, both The Wire and uh, difficult music, and or music that The Wire was founded to talk about, and difficult music, and um, bringing your, uh, oh man, we totally have to put this song in post over the end of it. Plus it's like, I think we think it's, is it, it's, eh, it's not that long. It's like seven minutes, but it, seven minutes of this over our last bit of talking would be pretty awesome. Um, and bringing your tower along with a monitor and shit to play a rave. Uh, New Year's Eve, um, way back in, I want to say 2005 or 2006, uh, this is when I was married already uh, to my ex-wife. Um, and uh, I don't know if she was working at this, but New Year's Eve, we had a party. I was a resident at a party called Manic Monday at the time. Manic Monday was a uh, techno after hour that um, started Sunday night at midnight and ended uh, Monday afternoon sometime. Nice. Uh, it was like my trial by fire first ever real residency at a techno party. I mean, I had residencies at dance music related stuff before that, um, but like uh, it was always like um, riding the line between techno scene and something that is a little bit more crossover-y, I guess. Uh, you know, I had a residency at this club that was called Rio here, which was very much a mid music scene kind of thing. And people thought of it as being like, not a serious club, um, you know, from people in the techno scene did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so Manic Monday, super weird party. Uh, um, notoriously, my DJ partner in War vs. Sleep, my best friend basically, described it as a place that you uh, would catch um, guys with no necks doing bumps of speed off of their biceps uh, <laughs> in the bathroom. Um, occasionally, uh, the only people that showed up to the party were, um, were uh, prostitutes who had, who had gotten off of work. Um, and were and like knew that ours was the only party that was going on yeah. um uh and uh yeah just real 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 kind of wild west mix of people and also musically uh kind of all over the place um which is funny because like the residents the, uh, uh, of of the residents that were american uh, it was famous people. It was Ty Q Cooper, uh, huh. LB D. Clark. Eric was uh, a friend of mine, and his boyfriend was like my first ever um, booker. And and in fact, like uh, you know, them as a couple, they invited me to be, be be part of this party uh, that they did together. Uh, and yeah, Kyrie and, and LB were two of the uh, other, they were the other American residents. 
besides myself eventually. And I thought this was insane. Like, how did I end up in this group? But all the other residents who were not the Americans were, um, were a, a very, very strange mixture of just other people that kind of like Eric uh, liked or was friends with. So hmm. there was um, uh, Giovanni Muscatello, who's Filippo Muscatello's little brother and um, was a notorious liar. And um, um, there was uh, a DJ named Anya Manana, uh who uh is a you know born and bred berliner and um probably played the most techno techno of all of our people mm. um and then there was uh uh a french friend of mine who was one half of the duo behind uh the kiddio band sex in dallas Oh. Uh, I don't know if you remember that them. They had kind of one big album, which was probably bigger in Berlin than anywhere else. But they were kind of the tail end of the electro clash scene in in some ways. Mm. Um, they had like this singer who did who was like sang on the record and stuff, but she was basically not even really part of the band. It was really just these two guys. Yeah, um, yeah, right. I I I, uh, I, I mean, I, she was in that she did like you know play with them and perform stuff but they totally never considered her part of the band um one of the two guys is like extremely sexist i mean they're both french so of course they're both sexist um yeah very funny party uh very weird uh total trial by fire uh new year's eve one year we did a manic monday on new year's eve oh wow and um, Andreas, Eric's at the time boyfriend, who was the person who ran the party with Eric, or mostly ran the party, uh, finally let uh, one of my closest friends, um, Chris Douglas, who is also known as Dalglish and um, OST, and um, I mean, he's put out, he's another person who's put out music under a million different names. Yeah, yeah. He, he was also there uh, very early on in techno. He worked at a record store in San Francisco when all of the first uh, UR records came out and he basically like looked at these records, saw the phone numbers on it and called them and then moved to Detroit when he was like 16. Wow. Uh, ended up living with Buzz Gorey and like uh, was like super good friends with uh, Mike. I mean, Mike basically picked him up at the airport when he moved to Detroit wow. from a phone call. Um, and like, you know, put out a couple records that sort of were technoid at the beginning and then immediately moved on to like being like, you know, the idea of, uh, of stuff being stuck in this grid and being only about dancing is like against everything that goes on inside him. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's got like a massive oeuvre of, of music and uh, has never been given his due because he basically, in some ways, is like the creator or one of the creators of like what is now termed intelligent dance music or like right. experimental electronic music, uh, at least experimental ex electronic music that is um, post-techno or whatever, or yeah. from the beginnings of techno. And, uh, and absolutely something that, 
that the wire should have been covering nonstop from the get-go. I think they wrote about him once before, but anyway, um, he's finally allowed to play at Manic Monday because he's been asking Andreas for a while. Right. And, and Andreas yeah. has been hesitant because he knows that Chris's music is like not dance floor music, but Chris promises him that he'll do something that is more dance floor for the New Year's Eve Manic Monday party. And I Chris like shows that. up with his uh, PC tower yeah. and a fucking monitor because it turns out his laptop had like crapped out or something. And his only option was to play it off of this, <laughs> off of this giant tower, yeah. um, which he did. And, um, and I loved it, but I will tell you this right now, Chris's version of this is, uh, you know, music for the dance floor meant that um, every once in a while you could start to hear stuff coming together so that it might have actually been a repeating and danceable polyrhythm or something. But as soon as you caught it, he would destroy it on purpose. I mean, or, you know, I mean, that's just what he does or what he is. But uh, but when you first mentioned that, it it totally reminded me of it. Uh, oh yeah, Chris is, uh, Chris is absolutely amazing as a musician and also a hilarious character. And we definitely need to have him on the podcast because if anybody hates the music business, <laughs> it is that guy. Oh, I'm sure um, you could you could build um, you could build a uh, a medium-sized Chinese pre-planned city in the chip on his shoulder. Oh, I can only imagine. How, how, I mean, I think, I think we might have it. That, it's a, this is already a good well over an hour, right? I think so. Got, yeah, cool. Uh, I'm going to say we wrap it up then. Okay. Um, we've, we've done our record of the month, which is uh, Material uh, 1. Is that right? Material 1? Yeah. Uh, and uh, definitely at least check it out. If not, go out and get it. Um, please don't just listen to it on Spotify. Uh, Bill Laswell probably needs money, I would imagine, these days. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, we'll see, we'll hear you next time. And the next time we will be joined by our third. Um, anything else yeah. you want to say to wrap it up? Uh, nope. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Pablo.